This is the business of sports. We're in a situation that we haven't dealt with in modern times. The pandemic here has really accelerated the investments that we've been advocating for for years. From a macro standpoint, I think our sport industry is really forced to look at the business a little bit differently. In-depth conversations with the leaders in the sports industry. Who wants to be the sacrificial lambs that shows up at the first big major sporting event? We're part of something much bigger than sport right now, and the health and safety of our stakeholders is what's most important. Every moment, I think we're all from a business perspective thinking about the impact that the virus is having across the country. Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Hello, I'm Jason Kelly. And I'm Mike Lynch. And I'm Michael Barr. Over the next hour, we will explore the big money issues in the world of sports and talk to some of the biggest players in the industry. And it's a big week this week, guys, because the NBA draft happened. With the first pick in the 1992 NBA draft, the Orlando Magic selects Shaquille O'Neal from Louisiana State University. In the 1996 NBA draft, the Philadelphia 76ers select Allen Iverson from Georgetown University. With the first pick in the 2003 NBA draft, the Cleveland Cavaliers select LeBron James. With the first pick in the 2019 NBA draft, the New Orleans Pelicans select Zion Williamson from Duke University. With the first pick in the 2020 NBA draft, the Minnesota Timberwolves select Anthony Edwards from the University of Georgia. And that, of course, was just this week. Anthony Edwards from University of Georgia going number one. No crowd noise because it is, after all, 2020. We remain in a deepening global pandemic, and thus everything's a little bit different. We are going to check out what happened this week, get the perspective of Marcus Camby. He went number two to Allen Iverson back there in 1996, guys. So the draft, I don't know how much you watched it, but, I mean, there was a certain amount of theater, but I still I miss all the cheering and the hugging, I have to say, Lynchy. I, I agree. There's nothing like the, the, the players with their families uh, backstage and when their the name is called and they hug their moms and family members and, and get the hat and come out on the stage. That, that's a big moment. And, uh, you know, we're going to ask uh, Marcus Camby about that. You know, what, was it a big thrill for him when, uh, when, when he was drafted number two back in 1996? My, my problem is that COVID wiped out all the conference tournaments and the NCAA tournament, which I think is a real showcase for the, you know, the casual college basketball fan yeah. to get familiar with some of these names. So, you know, a lot of these names were called last night. I'm going to go, let's see, do I remember him? Oh, yeah, I saw him play once, like, over the last couple of years. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I was able to catch up with Tyrese Halliburton, uh, who ended up going number 12, lower than he was predicted to, ended up with Sacramento Kings. Uh, you can check that out at Bloomberg Quick Take. Uh, speaking of college hoops, Michael Barr, uh, looks like at least the initial planning is underway to have March Madness in a bubble. Yeah, uh, they are talking about having all of the games. Usually, as you know, when you follow at the NCAA tournament, uh, you have several cities that will host uh, some of the games, and then everything will converge, a confluence, to go all the way back. And this year, and this season coming up, is supposed to be Indianapolis for the Final Four. But now they're talking about just having all the games in Indianapolis area in Indiana uh, which is going to be uh, quite a feat because there are a lot of games, obviously, uh, which I guess if you're the uh, Indianapolis area, that's great. 
But if you had these games in other areas, that's got to be a blow to businesses around there. Absolutely, no question. But if there's one city that's equipped to handle all these people and all these teams, it's Indianapolis and the, in the greater Indianapolis area. There are so many basketball courts, so many venues you can play at. Um, listen, they handled the Indianapolis 500 every single year without a problem. Mm-hmm. I think they, they, can, they can handle you know, the NBA playing around there. And it's a great city to walk around. And as anybody that's been there before, it's a friendly city. And it is the Hoosier State. So I think it's a great a great idea. You can't do the bubble, but I think it's the next best thing. And I'm, I think that the NBA proved they know what they're doing. And if they think this is the best, I'm going with them because uh, they, have a, they have a track record. Yeah, and I like the forward planning aspect of it, honestly. I mean, I like you know, sort of making this decision proactively. Look, we all hope that by the time we get to, to March Madness and the NCAA tournament that we've got vaccines out there and that people feel a little bit more comfortable moving around. But getting that planning going and who knows what will happen with the college basketball season between now and then. But uh, something to look forward to, and, and hopefully we will have an NCAA tournament. Uh, I cannot let this week go by, though, without talking to you, Lynchy, about the curse breaker himself yeah. out of a job in Chicago, Theo Epstein, after mm-hmm. a very successful run with your Boston Red Sox and then with the Cubs. He's out. He is out. And there's an opening with Stevie Cohen's New York Mets. And I just think this, he says that he, uh, Theo has said he wants to take a summer off. But I think that, you know, he's a young guy. But the itch is still there. And uh, what a challenge it would be to, uh, to bring the Mets back into prominence. I'll never forget Halloween night. Uh, and there was a big, big uh, uh, story that was breaking that he was going to leave the Red Sox uh, back in the, after they won in 2004. And we were all camped out with our cameras outside the Red Sox offices. And it was Halloween night, so people were coming by in costumes left and right. He walked right by us. He was dressed up in a gorilla costume. <laughs> and he w- <laughs> that's how he left. And he walked Come by all the, all the cameras in a gorilla outfit. <laughs> he was smirking under it, went around the corner, and took the gorilla hat off, got in his car, and drove away. And none of us knew it. We still were camped out there till midnight, you know, trying to call all our sources. <laughs> Is Theo still in there? Yeah, we, we got the back door covered. We got this door covered. And the gorilla walked right by us, and it was Theo Epstein. Look it up. It's, it's hilarious. <laughs> oh, my God. God, I had never heard that story. Well, he's a smart guy. He proved yeah. that time and time again. And uh, Even though he went to Yale, he's a smart guy. You're right. Uh, there you go. Oh, here we there go. You, go. Yeah, you went the whole McGilla on that one. Uh, fair warning to our audience out there. Lynchy's on fire this week. So just like buckle up because the rest of the show, you don't even know what you're going to hear. All right. Oh, sweet, merciful. Up next on the show, we speak with former number two overall pick in the NBA draft, Mark. Marcus Camby, that is straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And I'm Mike Lynch. I am not the gorilla. You can find me at Lynchy WCVB. And you can follow me. I'm Jason Kelly at Jason Kelly News. We're here each and every week at this time. Catch our Apple podcast that drops on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio around the world. The Toronto Raptors select Marcus Camby from the University of Massachusetts. There defensively, Melo steps back, no. Hip slam by Marcus Camby. The Nuggets' biggest bucket of the night. 
Well, thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly alongside Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Today, we're really excited to be speaking with former NBA Defensive Player of the Year, Marcus Camby. He joins us from Houston. Marcus, really good to talk to you. Uh, thanks for having me, guys. We were waxing rhapsodic a little bit uh, about Houston, where you've lived for uh, more than a decade now. But we're talking to you in part this week because it is a special edition. It's the NBA draft. We just had it. We're talking to you on Thursday morning. We saw it happen last night, uh, virtually, of course, because that's the world we're living in. Uh, The draft, what does it mean to you? Oh, man, this was like uh, being drafted was always you know, my lifelong dream as a kid, uh, you know, I was dreaming about going up there, shaking the commissioner's hand, putting on that team cap, and just to see all the faces and of all the, you know, the incoming class and just how much their lives are going to change and how much they're going to change their family lives uh, is uh, always good to see. It's always good to see the tears. It's always good to see the emotions and just to know that their lives are going to change forever. Anthony Edwards, number one overall, going to the Minnesota Timberwolves. How does that change his life, especially with endorsements, as long as he does his part, obviously? What impact does that have going number one overall? I think it's going to do tremendous for him, and especially going to a team like Minnesota who has two stars, in D'Angelo Russell and Carl Anthony Towns. I think he's going to be a perfect fit to play alongside D'Angelo and you know, the ceiling, you know, the ceiling is, is definitely high for those guys. I bet they're still going to be in the Western Conference, but I think the Timberwolves have a nice core nucleus with those three guys. Hey, Marcus, this is Mike Lynch up in Boston. Um, I uh, covered you and your UMass team in, in 1996, that magical year. And uh, we were all so excited when you were selected number two behind Allen Iverson. Um, knowing what you know now, 24 years later, what advice would you have for, for some of the top draft picks? These guys don't need to be really schooled in basketball anymore, but what advice would you have for them off the court with all the stuff that's going to be coming at them? Well, pretty much, uh, you know, I, I would tell these guys to pretty much uh, keep working on your craft. Uh, you know, being the easiest part I was always taught was getting drafted, but staying in the league is probably the hardest part. So you know, these guys are going to come in with, Playing with veterans who have families, and you know who have who are fighting for a lot, who has to feed their families. So the job is always going to be on the line. So you know, I would tell these guys to constantly work on your game, and get with a vet. Get with a vet on your team that can show you the ropes, that can school you the ins and out of the NBA, and treat it as a business as the NBA is going to treat you guys as a business. So I think that's imperative. And what is treating it like a business? What does that look like? What did it look like for you when you first got to the league? I was different for me. You know, I got drafted uh, by the Toronto Raptors, and it was the second year of existence of my organization. So it was tough. You know, it was a big adjustment for myself. And, you know, being on a team that wasn't really expected to do much because the lack of talent we had and the newness that we had to the NBA was a challenge. And, you know, basketball part I felt was the easy part. For me, was I had so much idle downtime, I didn't really know what to do with myself. And I think me being in a whole totally different country, you know, I pretty much stayed in my house, stayed in my house a lot because I wasn't really, you know, wasn't comfortable with the situations. But the outside of the basketball world is is is, is definitely um, it's challenging. But it's all about what you bring to it. It's all about what you make out of it. And 
you know, the NBA is going to provide you with a lot of opportunities. Uh, they do a great job of, you know, with the end programs that they have, with the Players Association and the information that they're giving these kids that these kids need to soak it up like a sponge because the NBA does a great job of providing you with information, providing you with opportunities outside of the basketball court that I feel that these young guys can take advantage of. The NBA, the previous season, uh, had success being in the bubble. Uh, they carried off the season. Uh, the Lakers, congratulations to them for winning the championship. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> Spoken like a Boston fan over there. <laughs> how, how, how will that impact how sports, not just the NBA, but – all of the major sports, how will the, the bubble advice uh, go on for sports? Yes. I mean, being in a bubble, you know, I, I wasn't in it, so I really can't really speak too much about it. But from the outside looking in, it was definitely a definitely a challenge. I think the Lakers uh, probably had one of the hardest runs to a championship, uh, be it everything that took place outside of the basketball court, going down into the bubble. Uh, having guys not commit to being on the team to participate in the bubble, uh, just staying in a hotel, being away from your family, all that stuff factor into to this being probably the hardest championship that the Lakers have had to overcome or any team had to overcome. So not being in your homes, not playing in front of your home crowd, I think a lot of that took a toll on all of our players up from, from this past year. So, uh, you know, hopefully, you know, the way the world is right now, you know, things can start to turn around where we can have fans go back into the arena. You know, I don't really know the NBA plan going forward as for that aspect of it, but I know it can be definitely challenging. You know, speaking of challenges, Marcus, uh, the restart uh, for practice is going to be uh, December 1st. Now, unlike teams like the Atlanta Hawks and Detroit Pistons that didn't make the playoffs. You're really coming. You're coming. You're just coming at us, Lynchy. Come on, man. <laughs> teams like the Celtics and the Heat and the Lakers, uh, those teams, it's not. It's a quick turnaround. I mean, are these guys, are the legs and the body going to be ready to come back and start again on December 1st? Well, probably the teams that were in the bubble who went deep in the playoffs is going to be a short turnaround. Um, especially it's going to be a challenge for like the older guys in the league. Say a guy like LeBron, uh, you know, who's going to like his 18th season, you know, who's logged heavy minutes throughout his whole career, uh, who had a long, uh, you know, playoff series uh, this past season. Guys for that nature, it'll be a little tougher. But, you know, those guys are constant pros. I mean, those guys are gym rats. They love to play. You know, those guys spend... Some guys spend over a million dollars on their body to make sure they're fit and ready for the upcoming season. So for guys like that, uh, I pretty much don't worry about. I know it's going to be a quick turnaround, but I know once the light goes on, these TV games come on, uh, these guys are going to be ready to play. That investment in your own body, that's a relatively new phenomenon, isn't it, Marcus? Um, from what I've been experiencing, it's definitely new. Uh, you know, guys have definitely take care of their body, but the amount of money these guys are, uh, are spending now, and especially now nowadays with the technology that we have uh, for guys to use, uh, you know, guys' personal workout, guys' personal trainers, guys really invest in the body, and that's really the right thing to do, especially if you plan to play, you know, a long time in the NBA, especially with the wear and tear that uh, the season, you know, has on your body. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with former college basketball standout, longtime NBA player Marcus Camby. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News.
And I'm Mike Lynch. You can find me at Lynchy WCVB. Watch me make Lynchy's nostrils flare. <laughs> Lakers! I'm Michael Barr on Twitter <laughs> at Big Bar Sports. Lakers! And download the show to hear even more of this interview. Lakers, our extended version. Catch that wherever you get your Lakers podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. I'm Jason Kelly along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. Let's get back to our conversation with Marcus Camby. So, you know, Marcus... We talked to a lot of players, a lot of former players, people around the league. We talked about the bubble. You know, there were several catalytic moments, really important moments across the preseason and and into the actual NBA season. It's a different year when it comes to player empowerment. The NBA was front and center with all of this. We talked a little bit about LeBron earlier in the conversation. Something changed, it feels like, in the NBA over the past few years. Do you agree? And and why do you think this era of empowerment has come on so strong? Yeah, I think I think it has a little bit. I think the the player has has gotten more power, I should say, or or more say in in controlling their destinations of things. And you know that can you know be a good thing. Uh, I think the NBA has done a great job, especially Commissioner Adam Silver, about letting our guys express themselves, uh, being more vocal, being more a part of the social change that's going on in the world. And you don't really see that much in other sports. Uh, you know, besides the NBA, once the NBA guys, you know, step forward, you know, like the Milwaukee Bucks team, they took a stand and said they weren't going to play. Uh, you know, they put themselves out there like that, and a lot of guys just tended to follow suit. So, you know, you got to give a lot of credit to to the commissioner. Uh, he's giving these guys free spirit and free will to express themselves. Can I expand more on that? Uh, the NBA took the lead, uh, allowing the social justice uh, narrative to be front and center uh, in the sport. Is that going to spill over to the next season and uh, the leaders like LeBron James going to carry the torch? Uh, you know, I would hope so. I mean, you know, this changes. Uh, you know, nothing's been solved. You know, it's an ongoing process. You know, each day is a struggle, and, you know, everybody is trying to get through it day by day. Uh it's not going to happen overnight. It's going to take more leaders from different sports to step up for us to really see radical change out there in, in, in the United States. And like I said, you know, the guys like LeBron and those guys who step up and put themselves out there and, 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 and get a lot of criticism, but they're doing it for the cause. And you got to respect guys like that that's able you know, to take the heat for a lot of other people, but still expect to, ch- expect to see change. Marcus, why why do you think the NBA has the best relationship with their commissioner as opposed to it seems like there's always contentiousness between the baseball players and the owners and football players and the commissioner. But with David Stern and now with Adam Silver, why why do the players feel such a close relationship to their commissioner? Well, those guys are always um, accessible to the guys. Uh, even when I was playing with David Stern and, you know, he's, he was always – Make sure you saw every team. Every time we went to the New York area, he was invited into the NBA Players Association office or the NBA offices, and he was always around. And in the NBA, I think it's less players as opposed to the NBA, as opposed to an NFL team where there's like you know 50 plus players on a, on a team. So you know, I think a lot of guys respect respect uh, David Stern for what he has brought the game globally for the NBA, and Adam Silver is doing a great job of taking that torch and passing it on 
and doing great things on and off the court. You know, Marcus, I want to go back to the social justice conversation for just a second because I, I had a conversation earlier this week with Tyrese Halliburton, who went number 12 in the draft, is going to play with the Kings. And one of the things he and I discussed was this notion that even for him, you know, coming up through high school and college, he did have this hesitation about, you know, speaking out too much. Maybe that's changing, and, and he certainly is hopeful that it's changing as he thinks about, you know, players coming up now through high school and college being able to ex- express themselves. Did you feel like you needed to kind of toe the line when you were, uh, you know, back in, in high school and college and just to sort of get to that, uh, get to that draft position, get to, to the league? Well, you know, it's different times from when I was, you know, coming up in the league until yeah. now, you know, the social media stage and everything is so highlighted now. And the stuff that we see on videos now, we never really saw during my tenure growing up. It was just, you know, hearsay, hearsay. But now you get to see videos of what's going on with interaction with the civilians and the police and, and the census killings that's going on. And it's more to the front light right now. So it gives us more cause to pause and, giving players and people time to speak out and say, hey, this is not right. This is not what's called for, and we need to do, we need change. We need to speak up. We need to, you know, do the right thing. And like I said, the social media era has changed everything the way we see things right now. And like I said, it's given us, you know, given us time to really analyze everything and to see it visually, and it's given us a, you know, the time to pause and to speak out on it and make sure we say the right thing. Stay tuned for more of our conversation with Marcus Camby. That's straight ahead on Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can follow me at LynchyWCBB. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. And download the show to hear even more of this interview, our extended version. Catch that wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks so much for joining us. We're here each and every week for you at the same time talking to the biggest names in sports. It is NBA Draft Week, so we're catching up with Marcus Camby. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch and Michael Barr. So, Marcus, you know, it is such an interesting time as we think about player empowerment. We think about players as brands. We think about new rules when it comes to name, image, and likeness. And students and pro athletes thinking about themselves as a business. Uh, I think it's fair to say that, you know, you had some complications and, and you had some issues when, when it came to that in your own college career. How do you look back on that? How do you think about where we go from here in terms of doing right by athletes and thinking of them in the right way and owning their brands and, and getting the right economics? Yeah, I think uh, the NCAA is doing a great job right now of of allowing these athletes to to garner and and, and earn wages. You know, outside of just being a, a student athlete. You know, I get it. Uh, you know, these kids are are getting scholarships to go to college, and of course, education is definitely the most important thing that we get out of it. But you know, a lot of these schools are are making a lot of money off these kids' likelihoodness and the way that they play and the way they contribute to the university. So when I was growing up, you know, I definitely wish I had that. You know, I've made uh, a lot of immature decisions when I was coming out of the draft, you know, being offered uh, money here and there because of my situation I was growing up. I didn't I didn't grow up with a whole lot of money. 
me and my mom and my sisters, uh, we grew up under hardship. So when people are trying to come at you and throw money at you and this and that, and, you know, especially when you're young, you're 18 and 19, you're not, you're not really thinking. You're thinking impulsively. You're thinking about what you can get and, w- and what you can get at that moment in time. So for me in my situation, uh, it was it was definitely tough. Uh, you know, I went through it. Uh, I owned it. Um, I eventually paid back all the money back to the school because I felt that that was the righteous thing to do. But nowadays I think the NBA, is, well, NCAA is looking back on everything that happened, not just with me, but with a lot of players in the past that, you know, came along uh, during those tough times and and really try to make a conscious effort about what 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 can we do here to change things? What can we do here to not let these things happen and not let these kids get taken advantage of? So with the opportunity of these kids, you know, maybe to earn, to earn money for themselves while they're in college, I think it's a win-win for everybody. It's going to keep people out of trouble. It's going to keep dollars in these kids' pockets, and it's going to keep producing the game of college basketball the way I grew up on it. You know, I grew up on uh, kids staying in school three or four years and not nowadays where these kids are one and done because they're leaving for the NBA because of hardship. You brought up a very good point about a young man making money and you're now entering the NBA and you're in your early 20s and the world's your oyster. And sadly, you hear other stories uh, as their careers end that they did not manage their money very well and they're broke. It, what can but, we do uh, as a society to help athletes, not just in the NBA, but in the NFL and all over, uh, to learn to manage their money and uh, and at least live comfortably? Honestly, um, in the NBA and the, the Players Association, I got to give those guys a lot of credit. Uh, throughout the course of the year, they come in with these seminars and about wealth, about money, about what to do when you're off time, about education. So the Players Association does a great job of providing us as players with all this information and, you know, all the connects that we can possibly have. And it's us as players that have to take advantage of that. Um, I remember at least probably like once every month the Players Association would come in there, they would talk to us uh, if you need help with anything, uh, you need somebody to look over what your financial guys are doing. So they put a lot of resources into that. And I think a lot of guys in the NBA during that time didn't really take advantage of it. They really didn't take advantage of it. And I really wish they did because we would read and hear about less stories about guys going broke at an early age. Marcus, I, I thought that was a really mature decision when you reimbursed uh, UMass over $151,000. And there was another mature decision three years ago. You went back and got your degree. You left after three years, which I think was I know was the right decision for you. Why did you feel it was important for you to go back and, and get your degree three years ago? Um, I definitely felt it was important because you know, I have three kids now. Uh, I have an 18-year-old who's about to go to college we don't know where at we're at yet so and i was always preaching education to him and i always felt i couldn't preach it or talk to him if i didn't get it done myself so that was probably one of the main reasons i went back to school you know i didn't go back because of the money i'm financially secure but i just thought the thought that you know my mom has always stressed the importance of education to me and my sisters growing up and just me being the first member of my family to graduate college uh that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to set an example for my three daughters growing up that 
you know, my dad did it on the basketball court, but he also did it off the court, and he led by example. So, Marcus, I, I have to ask you about one of your businesses that I'm fascinated by. You know, LeBron has his show, The Shop. You have an actual barber shop. So, how did you uh, how did you come to do that? Uh, and what's it like uh, running a barber shop? Uh, you know, I always wanted a barber shop. You know, me being down here in Houston, I wanted to have a business that was a staple in the community. And you know, I know how it is going to the barber shop. Uh, you know, you get your hair cut, you talk and shop. It's just about being amongst the guys in there. And um, it, it, it's great. It's, it's a great business. You know, I love it. Uh, you know, getting to go in there and interact with my barbers, interacting with the community and spending time in there. So that's pretty much what it came all about. And, and of course, I, I, I'm always going to need a haircut. So right. I might as well go get it for free then, right? <laughs> <laughs> you just answered the question. It's like, well, where does the barber go to get his haircut? Yeah. I see what happened. Exactly. <laughs> I bet those guys feel a little bit of pressure, though, when you sit down in the chair, right? <laughs> Uh, no, well, probably at first, but you know, I've been having it for 10 years now, so we're, we're familiar with everybody, and it's, like I said, it's a staple in the community, and um, I'm just happy to be a part of it. Have you gone through the, the problems, because you, you own a, a barbershop, and many businesses like that have had issues because of coronavirus, can you take us through your experience of what it's like going through the coronavirus era and trying to run a barbershop? Well, it was, it was difficult at first because a lot of people didn't really want to come outside. So, you know, you're not really coming outside. You're not really worried about your physical appearance. So you're not really, you know, worried about going and get a haircut. So, uh, but, you know, it, it stumbled a little bit. But, you know, we have faithful customers uh, and we have great barbers who put out great work. So, you know, I don't think it has affected us that much. I think right now things are coming along for us and, I think the other day the governor of Texas said that we're not going doing any more shutdowns. He doesn't care what's going on. Uh, I don't necessarily agree with that, but, uh, you know, things are, are, are starting to change a little bit, especially down here in Texas. I think we had over it's like a million cases of the COVID, and it's, it's kind of tough times down here. It's kind of tough times everywhere. I just can't stay down here in Texas, but, um, you know, a lot of people are affected, and, you know, I'm not just worried about myself. I just worry about you know, our whole nation. I don't like to see uh, you no know, businesses being shut down, um, people losing their jobs, uh, waiting on federal aid that may or may not come, and, you know, we're dealing with the election. So there's a lot of stuff that's going on in the world that's not sitting right with me. I just wish that hopefully you know, somewhere down the line that can come back to some sense of normalcy, we can get back to being the great nation that we are. Well, Marcus Campbell, we really appreciate you spending some time with us. Uh, you took us all back a little bit, and uh, I was in college at Georgetown uh, when you were at UMass, and I watched you and Alan Iverson uh, face off. Uh, I think down in uh, at, down in Birmingham, Alabama, I believe, uh, was uh, when Atlanta, you beat Georgetown. Atlanta. Oh, was it Atlanta? Okay, I couldn't remember. One year was yeah. Birmingham, one year was Atlanta. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you you guys uh, marched on. And uh, then, obviously, you guys saw saw each other uh, in the league uh, after that. So we really appreciate it. Uh, we got to give a shout out to your barbershop, MC Twenty Three Barbershop, down in yes. the Houston area, Pearland, I believe it it is. Is that right? Yes. Yes. All right. So go get your hair cut uh, <laughs> if you find yourself uh, down there. Marcus hey, will take care of you. Hey, Marcus. One final uh, question. Hey, Marcus. One final question. Is Antonio still open in Amherst? <laughs> <laughs> 
up by the campus, the, the, of, the pizza of shop? Of course. I was just, I was just <laughs> on campus this summer. Antonio's is a staple of the UMass community. I love that place. I love that place. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, you'll have to come back and see us and uh, keep us up to date on all your adventures. We really appreciate uh, such a candid conversation with you. Marcus Camby, former NBA center, defensive player of the year back in 06 and 07, a standout at UMass and a community leader here at a time. And great to catch up with him during draft week. Marcus, thanks a lot. Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. All right, guys. Well, Marcus can be uh, fun to catch up with him. A lot of overlaps, as we tend to have with some of our guests. I do remember that game uh, very well. Mm. I have a, in fact, mm. I have a picture uh, of the late John Thompson Jr. walking mm. off the court after uh, losing to UMass. Uh, that was in the Elite Eight. They went to the Final Four that year. Uh, very candid guy. I was glad uh, yeah. he addressed what you know is obviously the elephant in the room when it comes to Marcus Canby, which is. You know, owning the mistakes that he made as a college player, and uh, I thought he gave a, a very forthright answer to that. Without question. Um, I, I didn't know how he was going to handle that, but when he said, I owned it, uh, I made some bad decisions. I accepted it was $28,000 worth of jewelry, I think, from two different agents. Yeah. But he decided to pay back. UMass had to vacate their, uh, uh, their Final Four parents, and they had to... Uh, forfeit the $151,000 that they received in uh, tournament money. And Marcus wrote a check to the school for the 151000 plus. And, you know, a lot of guys could say, hey, I'm in the NBA right now. I don't, I'm don't. i done. Okay. Right. Uh, see you later. You know, just sort of uh, say, come get me. You know, uh, get find the money somewhere else from some alum. I, a very mature guy. Um, you know, we liked him a lot when we were covering him here. He was a great guy to deal with when he played for UMass. And we were all rooted for him. We followed his career. And, and I was just so glad to hear him talk about that and so many other mature things especially about going back and getting his degree right exactly exactly and you now you got a place to get your hair cut in houston uh, i do i'm ready to go <laughs> yeah both of you guys let's just yeah. go we could do a remote from uh, mc23 in <laughs> i have to tell you and as i when he when you mentioned about his business uh the the barbershop it reminded me of the movie barbershop yeah because that's yeah. exactly the way it was and and I remember when I was going to the barbershop, and this is when. Uh, well, I still do, but yeah, I mean, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I haven't seen know. you in a while, Bar. But please tell me you're still getting your haircut. Get a haircut, hippie. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, back in Detroit when I was getting a haircut, and this is when the Pistons, when they were winning NBA championships, and you should have heard the discussions. Which one was better? Joe Dumars or Isaiah Thomas. And, I mean, this would go on for about 20 minutes as yep. we're just going on getting the haircut. Uh, and, and it's just kind of neat that that's the atmosphere when you walk into a barbershop. All right. Oh, well, can, 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 can imagine going to a barbershop and having to talk about 17 titles instead of two? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> God, you, are, you are coming in hot, Lynchy. My goal is to be the number one pick. That's something I've been dreaming of since the kids. It feels better to be number one than number five. I wear the number because of Mike. We have a chance to go for three in a row. Good numbers at a good time. When I first started wearing that number, I was just happy and proud. Bloomberg Business of Sports, the number of the week. Yeah, I got your number of the week for you. Somebody ate his babies this morning. Oh, man. Lynchy steals it. Yeah. All right. Number of the week. Let's do it. All right. We're we going we're gonna to do this in reverse. And uh, you know what? It, 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 this very quick, serious thing. 
uh, a tribute to uh, the late, great Alex Jebrek. We're going to do this Jeopardy style. All right. All right. Uh, This sport is offering one of the biggest prize purses ever seen in this sport. $1.15 million. I want to know what the sport is. What is bowling? Benji. Let's see. We have. Did we have on some e people, uh, e sports people? Oh, there you go. That's smart. I'm, I'm gonna say. I'm gonna say some e sports event. You know, I thought you were gonna pull a Lynchy and you say, "Didn't he say e sports?" Uh, how, what's a triathlon? I thought you were going to do something like that. <laughs> this they're offering in this triathlon. More than two thousand triathlons uh, will gather at the Daytona International Motor Speedway in Florida next month for an endurance sports festival called wow. Challenge Daytona, and they'll have races for people of all ages. But the main event will be the Professional Triathletes Organization of the twenty twenty championship. And the world's best triathlons will compete for the biggest prize purse in the sport ever seen, $1.15 million. So I'd like to see that. Wow. All right. Wow. That's that's a lot. That is a lot more money. That's a ton money. of money for that's a triathlon? A, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, I love triathlons as, next to the, as much as the next guy, but that's really that's really something. All right. That's a good number of the week. Yeah, well done. It is. Yeah. A lot of money that's, in that's what it. Bar, Bar was off last week, so we had a lot of time on his hands to come up with something he knew we'd have no <laughs> yeah, chance of getting. No chance. Zero chance. Exactly. And, and, I, and I, I had been going through the real estate pages of the Los Angeles Times all week. <laughs> <laughs> and then they come back to somebody's house. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It'll yeah, come back. Esports is a good guess, though. That's that was really good. good. You've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here each and every week at the same time, plus online wherever you get your podcasts. Those drop every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday. I'm Jason Kelly. You can find me on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. Thank you, Marcus Camby. You can find me at Lynchy WCVB. And I'm Michael Barr on Twitter at Big Bar Sports. You're listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports, Bloomberg Radio, around the world. <laughs> 